Okay, great. So what we're going to be doing for the next hour, we're going to push off Mincha a little bit just to give time for the shear. We're standing on the threshold of Rosh Hashanah. And of all the tzaddikim, it's interesting, every tzaddik has his derech, every tzaddik has his thing. Rabbi Nachman's derech, Rabbi Nachman's inyan is Rosh Hashanah. Saying, uh, of all the different tzaddikim and all of the different Yemim Tovim that they loved, that they were connected to, and we find this by the Bnei Sascha, for example, the whole thing was Hanukkah. Even though he wrote on everything, his Shorosh Hashama, his Indian was Hanukkah. Even this, you know, in our generation, we have two very interesting, really, tzaddikim from a different generation. Some of you may have heard of Rabbi Itchemeyer Morgenstern and Ritzimeyer Zilberberg. Right? These two tzaddikim, they're not Rebbas, they don't have Hasidus in, they don't belong to a specific sect, you know. But they're, they're just mashpiim, tzaddikim. And they pull together eclectic groups of people, I bless you, to be able to go to Ritzimeyer, to Ritzimeyer for Shalashudas. You'll see all different kinds of Jews. Every, every kind of Jew that are just chabra that are looking to get in touch with the Vodas Hashem that has nothing to do with externals or a different kind of hat or a different kind of spadik or strimal. It's just about the inside, wanting to connect to tzaddikim. And these two tzaddikim are also connected to Yom Tovim. I think somebody once told me he overheard a conversation between Ritzimeyer and Ritzimeyer. And Ravichemeyer asked Ritzimeyer, what's the difference between you and me? Like, Tachlis, what's the difference? We're both mashpiim. We're both not associated with particular Hasidism. We're both teaching Panimia Satora. We're more, you know, uh, we're, we're making sowed that element of the hidden level of Torah more accessible to people in a very down-to-earth, beautiful, wonderful way. What's the difference between me and you? So those who know these Sadiqim will appreciate the answer a little bit more. But Ritzimeyer looked at Ravichemeyer and he said, you're Purim? And I'm Simchas Torah. Purim and Simchas Torah. Vichemeyer, everything over there is Purim, the whole thing, all year round. If you know, the Zmanim and the atmosphere and what's going on, they're both Simcha, but they are rooted in different Chagim. Rabbi Nachman's Yantiv is Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Nachman said about himself, he said, don't think that I received this as a Yerusha, as an inheritance from the Baal Shem Tov, my great-grandfather, from any of the Tzadikim. He said, Hashem Natan Lizot B'Matana. Kaddish Baruch Hu gave this to me as a gift. That's what Rabbi Nachman said. He said, I really get it. I know what Rosh Hashanah is for us. We need to appreciate what the spiritual essence of Rosh Hashanah is to then appreciate what Rabbi Nachman meant. He didn't mean that he knows how to, you know, arrange the simanim on the most beautiful platter or make round chalas or blow the shofar really well. It meant that the spiritual essence of what this day is and what's happening Kabbalistically on this day, Rabbi Nachman said, that's my Indian. At a very basic level, and we're not going to be focused on this so much, we're going to be learning Rabbi Nachman's advice for Rosh Hashanah. But on the most basic level, Rosh Hashanah is the day of Binyan Hamalchus. Listen to these words, Binyan Hamalchus. To build up the concept of kingship. All of us are familiar with this, that Rosh Hashanah is the day of Malchus, right? We say, The whole day we're spending telling HaKadosh Baruch Avinu Malkeinu. We're accepting Hashem's Malchus upon us. It's like the coronation of the king. And they would blow shofars, right? They would blow a shofar when a new king was coronated. And Rosh Hashanah is the day that we're accepting Hashem's Malchus upon us. Once more, we're accepting the sovereignty of HaKadosh Baruch upon us. But it's far deeper. Because what's the very essence of Malchus? This concept that a Kodesh Baruch was a king. What makes a person a king? What makes a being a king? Can a person say that they're a king over a herd of cattle? That make a person a king? If I own 50, 50 cattle, 50 cows, am I a king over them? What makes me a king? 
To be a king means that you're ruling over like beings, right? It means to say that you're not a king over a whole colony of ants. You're not a king. You're not, you're not, that's not, to be a king means that you're reigning sovereign over human beings, conscious beings that are not forced to follow in your, in your, in your, in your ways. We'll take your question in a minute. But rather, and there's a Pusik that backs this up, there needs to be the element where those that you're reigning sovereign upon are accepting and receiving your malchus. Otherwise, you're a Moshe. For Am Yisrael, he's a Melech. For the nations of the world, whether, we, whether they like it or not, HaGadosh Baruch is moving them around like chess pieces, but it's against their will. They have not consciously accepted God. God's uh, sovereignty upon them, and so he's like a dictator, Kilu, right? He still has all the power, but it's a Moshe. But the Indian of Melech, and many of us are familiar with this concept, Ein Melech, below Am. You cannot have a king without a nation. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought us into the world so that we can exist as independent beings, which is an illusion, because all of our consciousness comes from the capital C consciousness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But because of the tzimtzum, because of a, constrict, a constriction, and because he caused for this incredible barrier to exist between us and him, we perceive ourselves to exist as independent beings with independent bodies and independent circumstances and independent uh, you know, life stories and so on and so forth. But ultimately, for what purpose? So that he could rule over a like being. So that we can have a divine spark, so that he can be a king on the level that only God could be a king when ruling all over godly beings. And so he brings us into existence so that we can exist separate from him only for the purpose of then turning back around and opening ourselves up to him so that it can be this relationship of Ritzonenu, like Chazal tell us by Harsinai, Liris Esmalkenu. We desire, Am Yisrael told Moshe Rabbeinu enough, we want to see the king. Ritzonenu Liris Esmalkenu. Every time you have the concept of Melech, you have the concept of Ratzon. Ritzonenu Liris Esmalkenu. Because without Ratzon, he's a Moshe. So this is the essence of Rosh Hashanah. I'll tell you a little bit deeper and then we'll get into some of the sources. We're not going to have time to do the whole thing. This is really from another shir that I gave that I can send out. It's, I already gave this, uh, this shir once. But the Ariyah the Arizal tells us that every Rosh Hashanah in the spiritual realms, what's taking place is the separation of Chava from Adam. This is very deep. Chazal tell us that originally Chava was part and parcel of Adam Rishon. They were what's called Dupart Sufim, right? Like Harry Potter with Snape, I think it was in the back, right? Professor Quirrell, what was it? Oh, Quirrell was in the back, who knows? Right, and they were wearing this turban. He had two faces. That's exactly what, where do you think they got that from? I don't know if they got that from there, but this is what it is, right? Adam and Chava were initially created back to back as one being. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and separated them one from the other. One Manda Amr says that it was a rib that HaKadosh Baruch Hu built into. It's the same Indian. Chava was part of Adam Rishon and then was etched out to become a separate being. For what purpose? So that ultimately they would be able to turn around and face each other in intimacy, love, and unity to create something more perfect. Says the Arizal, of course Adam and Chava existed, but their import to us, and this is true about all historical biblical figures, it's not that there was once a person named Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was more relevant to you in your life than most of the people that you actually know. Because Avram Avinu wasn't just a person, he was a persona. He stood for something. He's a concept. Of course, he was a historical figure as well. But each of the Avasakadoshim, each of the biblical personalities were a vessel for a concept. 
And that concept is just as relevant today as it was. And that means to say that Avram Avinu is relevant. Moshe Rabbeinu is relevant. Yitzchak is relevant. We have to learn what they are, how they, how, they, how they interact. And the whole Torah, when we're reading these episodes involving Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, becomes completely different stories. You think that the story of you know, Yaakov and Lot, or Yaakov and Esav and Yitzchak with the brachas, it's what it is, like as you read it in the King James edition of the Bible, Rachman al-Litzlan. It's a billion miles deeper than that. Is it also true on the surface level that these stories took place? Sure. But the omek of it belongs to Am Yisrael. The sad part, and we spoke about this last night, is when we continually give over Torah to adults on the level of, you know, kids. And that's, and that's why we become frustrated with it, because our neshamas need something much, much deeper. So when we look at Adam and Chava, we look at what this means, that Chava was originally part of Adam, says the Ariya Kadesh, that separation in Kabbalistic terminology is called Nesira. That cutting off, that cutting away, takes place every single Rosh Hashanah again. What is the cutting away? What is Chava? What is Adam? Ah, we already started speaking about The male and female paradigm that begins with Adam and Chava, the first male and the first female, what is the essence of male and female? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? At the most core essence, we're among adults, it's a little bit sensitive, is the Indian of Mashpia and Mechabal. That's the very essence of the distinction between the genders, right? And there's a bunch of different manifestations of that. But at the very core, even on a physical level, what's the distinction between a man and a woman? Is that the male has the Indian of being able to be mashpia, to give. It's extroverted. And the Indian of the Nekeva is introversion, is to accept, is to receive. Says Dariya Kadesh, before Chava was separated and created as her own individual being, she was included within Adam. What's Adam? Adam is representative of the master of the world, who's the ultimate mashpia. That all of us are makabel from him. We're males. All of us are males. We're makabel. We're nekeva in the aspect that vis-a-vis the master of the world and his giving, we're the receivers. Am Yisrael is makabel the Torah, right? This is the Indian of receiving. But Chava originally was part of Adam, which means to say that all of our souls that exist as separate conscious beings in the beginning of the world were part and parcel of God himself. Our Chelek Alukami Mao, which is the essence of who we are, was part of that godliness above. When did we become separated? When was Adam born? When was man brought into the world? Which means when were those sparks refracted into individual beings so that we can live in this illusion of having our own beings so that we could consciously open up to our Kaddish Baruch and receive his malchus upon us, Ein Melech Am, that happened in Rosh Hashanah. That's exactly what's happening each and every Rosh Hashanah anew. Where we're able to look ourselves in the mirror in a sense of examining all of the details that makes us independent. Independent from other people, independent in terms of our circumstances, our stories. Okay, you have a twin, it's a little bit different, so you guys have very similar experiences. But most of us, I mean, there's each of us, different families, different experiences, different, sco- different schools, different, you know, and so on and so forth, so different, so unique. And then to be able to realize, why am I unique? Why am I existing in this world as an independent being that's incredibly unique to the point that no two human beings ever had the same fingerprint on a physical level and speak about emotionally each of us is a world olamali why why was chava separated from adam so that a could spin them around and bring them pun and 
so that they could have intimacy with one, one with the other, so that they could produce children, so that they could fill the world with light. And this is what Rosh Hashanah is about, Chavra, is about the Kabbalah's Om Malchus that exists or that results from our awareness that we exist as separate beings only for the purpose of turning ourselves around. And all of life is an exercise in doing this. It's a lifelong process of turning ourselves around to face God. Turning ourselves toward God so that His light can illuminate every detail and every crevice and every facet of our being. The good times and the bad times. The ugly parts and the beautiful parts. Every element of us. To ultimately, at the end of our lives, be completely and entirely turned, 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 and shining. Illuminated with the premise for which we were brought into the world in the first place. That's what Rosh Hashanah is about. It's about realigning ourselves and our independence with the reason for which we are independent in the first place. It's about bringing Chava and Adam face to face, Panabapanim, in this intimate unity with the master of the world so that we can fill the world with life. So that we can fill the world with his light. So that we can recognize and perceive his light beyond everything. We do tshuva leading up to Rosh Hashanah. You know why? We spoke about this a little bit last night. All of tshuva, this is more Baomek, second year guys, more. All hate, again, we, we hinted to this last night, all hate, for those who were there, all sin, which we defined last night as stepping off the straight and narrow, is resulting from Chava, who exists now as an independent being, being totally oblivious for which, for the reason she was brought into this existence in the first place. So that means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kiviyachal carves out Chava from Adam, carves out Malchus, carves out this feminine aspect of being able to receive, and Chava goes off on her own and starts exploring the garden. Like, uh, like that's why she was brought into the world, just to focus on herself. Instead of realizing that the only reason she's independent is so that she can spin herself around and join in intimate unison with, with Adam Rishan. That's all, all of Chait. All of Chait comes from our utilization of our independence, or of our independence, which most clearly expresses itself on the level of the guf, because Benishama, you and I are mamish the same. In our guf, we're different. I'm sitting here, you're sitting there, you're facing this way, I'm facing that way. So all of this is essentially caught up with the body and all of its desires and all of its lowliness and all of its negative traits and, and so on and so forth. That's all of chet. So Rosh Hashanah is not so much about, you know, I have to work on this and I have to work on this and I have to do two for that. It's like, let's get to the core, to the root, to the essence of what is going on here. Let's get to the core, to the root, to the essence of why it is that I am here and why it is that you are here. And if we can realign ourselves with the very premise for which we exist in the first place, Memela, you'll see that so many of the mitos raos and so many of the deficiencies and so many of the negative things that we struggle with, they, they'll fall away on their own because we've solved the problem at the root instead of focusing on symptoms. Is this clear? Do you still have your question? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You defined um, kingship as like in like, like people. Um, right. Obviously, we, we are all a part of Hashem, but we're like, He's infinite. He's, there's so many other ways that we define God as like a, an above being to us. So relative to God, we are the ants, and He's like a human. So how can we declare Him King? Obviously, we do. We are right. part of Him, but like, absolutely, we're not exactly absolutely. Him Anybody have a thought on that? Anybody have a yeah? I mean, from our perspective, like if our 
Okay, that's one, that's one answer from our perspective. The way out, thank you so much. The way that I would frame it is basically to suggest that, yes, vis-a-vis God, there's a, there's a tremendous merchak, there's a tremendous difference. But vis-a-vis any other being in the world, right, or any other feasible possible being, including angels, we're the most godly. We are B'Tselem Elohim. Now, that Selim is an anomaly because God himself has no Selim or Dumus. So what does that mean? We have to discuss what Selim Elohim. We have a lot to learn together. But that's B'Tselem Elohim is a separate conversation. But in the manner in which we are similar to God, in that manner he rules over us, right? What do we let that manner? So I'm not, so then I'm confessing God as my king with my, like, I guess you call it, with your godly identity. With my godly identity. Right. But I still have my, my physical identity. So obviously we're recommitting ourselves to, like we're re-signing the contract every single year. So but we're supposed to live fully in a way of a Torah observance. I'm That's not putting right. my guf to God. I'm putting my neshama to God. And we're hoping that my guf will follow my neshama. Well, the guf is not, a, a, the guf is not like, a, like a dog that you have on a leash, hopefully on a leash, just mindlessly, right? Hopefully the neshama should be sholet. Now, we're not perfect. Nobody's asking for perfection, like we said last night. God created human beings with all that goes into being human, which is, we're quite incomplete. I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm, I'm, I'm quite, you know, imperfect, right? The Pasuk says, that tzaddikim, there are no, no tzaddik who's perfect who never did a sin. There's no such thing, it never existed. But we hope that the more that we could remain conscious of this and not take our eye off the ball in Hevra, it is the easiest ball to take our eye off. And it shouldn't be. It should mamish be the essence of the essence of what we're all about. But we so often either gloss over it or nobody ever told us about it or we don't spend enough time learning about it that we get caught up with all the different details, whether it be mundane or even spiritual. And we lose touch with like, what is this all about? What am I doing? What's this for? What is the Jewish nation all about? What's my connection to history? And so on and so forth. And so we lose touch with it. But a person that remains conscious of it in the best way that I can try to, to, uh, to, you know, to suggest something we can do that would help us remain conscious is the study of Hasidus, is the study of Pneumius HaTorah, Torah like this, Torah that's deep, that's relevant, that speaks to the essence instead of the periphery. And we need all Torah, all Torah is holy, we'll speak about this also in our Vad Bezer Hashem Tuesday nights. All Torah is holy. But the Neshamas of this final generation, our souls are yearning for something, for something else. And when we don't get it, Rav Kook, we saw Rav Kook's portrait on the way. Rav Kook says that when we don't get it, that's when we get frustrated. And it's not because Torah doesn't have it, it's because we're not connecting to the level of Torah that our neshamas need in a way that previous generations didn't need it. Because in a certain way we're at the nun shari toma, like even worse than Mitzrayim, in a certain way we're living in a stoma mora beyond. You know, we could just, we're living in 2021, which is, which is worse than anything that ever existed in terms of the accessibility of filth and the decadence of society, and so on and so forth. And so the sickest patient requires a mediocre doctor? No. The sickest patient needs, I mean, the top, top, top surgeon. When a person is on the bottom of the thickest pit in the world, he needs a little, a little flashlight and he needs a floodlight in order to reach him. And so our neshamas, in order to survive in this generation, in this climate, we need a level of kedusha and a level of Torah that's amok, 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 that's very deep, right? And so hopefully when we remain connected in this way, it'll have its hashba'a on the body. Because again, this is very deep. 
The body, in terms of its independence from others, and therefore our independent consciousness that's really defined by the way we look, right? No two people look alike and so on and so forth, is only there for the purpose of the soul, which is only in this world in a body so that it could consciously accept God's kingship upon it and come into a relationship soul with source. So in as much as we remain rooted in our identity of who it is that we really are inside, we'll see that the body slowly but surely starts to get wind of like, okay, why am I here? Like, what, what do I have these circumstances, talents, ambitions, dreams, abilities, uh, you know, perception, consciousness, and so on and so forth. Why, why am I, I? Like, what, what is this all about? And slowly but surely, it's able to have an effect on the body as well. Because all of our problems start with the, with the body as body. But once we, we see body as soul and an extension of the soul, and really, you know, in a certain paradoxical way, we'll get to you in a minute, in a paradoxical way, it's almost easier to get into this consciousness, mitzad the body, than the neshama, because the body is the one that's independent, right? The body is the one that has the, uh, you know, the modes of independence that can help remind us, oh, why am I unique? Well, why is humanity unique? Or why is the Jewish nation unique? Why did a Kaddish Baruch Hu bring people into the world? Oh, because we're supposed to be independent of him so that we can accept his malchus, right? And a king is not either. This is a very interesting point. Thank you for bringing it out. A king is not a king over a bunch of dogs, nor is a king a king over one other person. You're not a king. You're a, you're a master, maybe you're a slave master. You're not a king just because somebody says, okay, I accept you as a, one person. You need an am. And so that's why Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't suffice with just one person. Kodesh Baruch Hu needs an entire nation of independent beings from one another and independent from him so that all of us together could be Mechabal, the Malchus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. That's what we should be preparing for as we go in. It's a recalibration, to realign ourselves. Like, what is happening on this day, spiritually speaking? Chava is being cut away from Adam. Am Yisrael are being brought into, into being, into existence. For what purpose? Our desire is to do your desire. That's what Rosh Hashanah helps us get back to the essence of yeah. Um, you say that, that the reason that a good was created was that the soul can have some consciousness and that that consciousness allows us to accept God, that without a good soul doesn't have any conscious. I, I, I don't know that our soul doesn't have any consciousness, but have you seen a couple of souls, you know, floating around? Like, this, this world is a physical world. And so the body serves the purpose of what you know, Chazal referred to the body as a shoe. Right, why does a person wear a shoe when they walk outside? Because if you walk outside, you're going to, one of two things, you can hurt yourself, right? You can step on rocks, you can step on glass, or you can step in a muddy puddle and you don't want to get your foot wet, right? Or your foot dirty. So shoes or boots, right, more, more uh, you know, specifically to this muscle, are there to protect the soul. So in a certain way, the only way that we can exist in this world, to walk around this world, the body is one big shoe for the soul. The essence is the soul. Right? And so the soul is the one that's conscious. And the body without the soul is, is nothing. One of the signs you find, we should never hear from such a thing, you find young people that just don't wake up in the morning. What went wrong? They're perfectly healthy. The kidneys are working, their lungs are working. They're, everything's fine. One minute to the next, boom, they just don't wake up. You find such a thing. How does that happen? Ah, because the body in and of itself without the soul is nothing. It's just a bunch of flesh, a bunch of earth. We don't like to think about it so much, but the body in and of itself is, is, is nothing at all. When it's imbued with the soul, then the consciousness of the soul and all of its capacities, hearing, seeing, smelling, your nose doesn't smell. Your soul smells. 
and it utilizes the nose to express that capacity. Your ears don't hear. Your ears. If we f- would fashion your ear and just stick it on a wall, it's nothing. Nothing. Nothing's doing right. It'd be a very beautiful ear to look at, but it's not doing anything. I'm nice ears. It doesn't doesn't do anything, right? But it's the soul. Anybody notices here before? But the, but it's the soul that that's that's hearing, seeing. Same thing. The eyes. The eyes don't see. It's the soul that sees, and the soul manifests its capacity for sight in the eyes. Once you brought me to this, I don't think we're going to get to the sheets because it's <laughs> a lot to talk about. But one second. But once you brought me to this, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. But once you brought me to this, I want to tell you something very very deep because you brought me into this into this topic. Thank you so much. Ah, shkacha. Kadosh Baruch runs things. We could speak for. I don't know, a couple of days at least. Let me rephrase that. I can speak for a couple of days at least. I don't know if you'll, if you'll be here anymore in the end. But let, let's go with that for a second. The body doesn't feel. The body doesn't see. The body doesn't hear. The body doesn't smell. The body doesn't taste. The body doesn't speak. The body does nothing. The body serves to refract the individual capacities of the soul that exist as one in this indivisible spiritual being, when manifest in a body, all of its capacities become revealed in specific ways. So nobody, he- nobody sees out of their ears and nobody smells with their eyes and nobody tastes with their nose, right? The capacity for sight reveals itself in the eyes, the capacity for ears, and so on and so forth. I want to say two things that branch off from this Stay with me because it's, it's all important. The first branch is that the neshama to the guf is the master of the world to the system of what we refer to as the spheros or as the midos of a Baruch People have a problem with this. God is indivisible. God is one. How could he have midos? He acts with a midah of chesed. He acts with a midah of gvura. He has a, these are separate traits. These are separate things and God is indivisible. But a Kodesh Baruch who created humanity, let's talk about the body for a second. We spoke about Selim Elohim in the structure of God, but God doesn't have a structure. So what are we referring to when we say that a Kodesh Baruch who created man in the structure of God? Says the Nefshachayim, say the Tzadikim. God created man in the structure of his creative process that brought the world into being. And that means to say in the same way the indivisible soul as manifest in the body demonstrates all of its capacities through different kalim, through different vessels, the vessels of the ears, the vessels of the eyes, and the nose, and the eyes, and the nose, and the ears. It's so deep. It's so deep. If we're created physically in the form of the way in which God interacts with the world, that means that we can learn Torah from the way we look. You can look in the mirror and we can learn things from the way the eyes are. Why are the eyes this way? My two-year-old yesterday started, you know, like just realized that I have eyebrows. He's like, wait a second, like, what's going on? Why do you have he- hair over here? There's nothing stam. Why are there two nostrils in one mouth? Why aren't there two mouths? There's nothing stam. The Torah has what to say about all these things. It's deep. It's amok, amok ma'od. We're going to learn some of these things together, Hashem. But now we can begin to understand it. God is one and the soul is one. All of the midos are vessels Tools to reveal that which exists within his indivisibility. So within HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's Chesed, there's Gvur, there's Tiferes, there's Netzach, Hod, Yisod, Malchus, and so on and so forth. All these traits, all these Midos exist as one, just like hearing, smelling, seeing, speaking, touching, and so on and so forth, exist within the soul. All of the Midos are Kalim to allow 
for the expression of those traits. That's an interesting thing. And that's from the Ramak in Paradis Rimonim. The second thing I really wanted to get to, because this is also essential, we meet with obstacles, Chevra, we meet with obstacles. Each and every person in here has struggles. Some of our struggles are similar. There's a certain, a few, a set of struggles of this generation that are specific, that are universal. But each of us has struggles in and of our own lives, whether spiritually, practically, physically, emotionally, intellectually. All of us have those very beautiful difficulties that make us us that are uniquely outfitted for our purpose in this world but here's the most amazing thing here's the most amazing thing why do we have challenges we hinted to it a second ago but why does a Kodesh Baruch Hu make that we should find it difficult to do his will in this world for what purpose huh what do you mean Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Exactly right. So, so let me ask you a question. The prem, yeah. What do you want to say? Again? Aha, uh-huh, that the malachim exists without without any without any tension, without any struggle. But that means to say implicit, I think, in what you're saying is that the challenges are given to us with the assumption that we can overcome them, right? Is that, right? That would be accurate. But it's tough. But, 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 the, but the purpose is that we should be able to, yeah. to overcome. So listen to this beautiful thing from the Ish Kodesh, the Elegapiyah Setsin, Rebbe Schlesier Gnalein, Hashem Yikam Damai. And this is Mamash, what you brought up. Remind me your name again. Yo. Yo. So Yo Mamash said the most amazing thing, and he, he brought us into this whole area here. Is that, and it's like a, it's a little bit of a shift. Think about this for a second. If a person was brought up in an environment, and today you can imagine such a thing, was brought up in an environment with no sound, completely and entirely soundless. It's abuse, obviously. But let's say they wanted to do some kind of experiment and they built like this little fake world with everything in the world but no sound. Could the person still hear? He could still hear, right? Where is the capacity to hear? In him. What's in him? In his? In his nisham. That's what we spoke about before. But because there's no stimulant, because there's no sound, that capacity to hear would never be revealed in the keli or the kalim called ears. He would never know that he had that capacity within him. Imagine a person is brought up, same thing, in a pitch black room. Could he see? He's a seeing being. His soul can see, but he would never know. Says the Piyasetzner Rebbe, listen to this incredible thing. He said, you think that you can be defined in terms of what you're capable of by the circumstances or environment around you? Can't be. Because the environment around us always changes, meaning to say that there is going to be in every new environment another stimulant which is naturally going to awaken something within us that we never knew we had before. Brilliant. And it means to say, however, that every challenge that we go through is for the purpose of eliciting from within our neshama a capacity that we always had, but we never knew we needed it. Think about that for a second. 
Each and every one of us has the capacity to be a parent. Being a parent is not so easy. Being a parent of one is hard enough. We just had our second three weeks ago. Didn't sleep so much last night. It's tough, thank you. It's the biggest gift in the world. Are you kidding? It's the biggest gift. It's the biggest matana. It's challenging. It's challenging. All of us in this room have the capacity to be as loving, as patient, as nurturing, as calm, as broad-minded, as centered and grounded as the best parent would ever need to be. But you don't know it yet because you've never had that stimulant to elicit that response from within your neshama. That means to say, Chavra, that we cannot define what we're capable of at a given moment because we are so much more than we can ever begin to imagine. And we sell ourselves short all the time. When we think that, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take you by the hand and walk you through the paradise of your life with all of its hills and all of its valleys in order to bring you into circumstances that are only there for the purpose of bringing out your potential, your capacity in a way that without the challenge, you'd never know it. And so many of us, much like that person we could imagine, we could dream, who grew up in a place with no sound, who would hear the first sound, he'd like, I'm out, like I can't handle this, I don't know what this is, I don't have the capacity, I don't have the ability to react to this, what is this? Sight, all of a sudden a person lives for 20, 30 years in a pitch black room, nothing, and all of a sudden somebody lights a little spark. And the person recoils, shies away. They have like this, you know, movie scene, you know, like this guy who like spends, spends all of his time just playing Xbox in his grandmother's basement and like somebody pulls aside the shade and he like, he can't handle it, right? Or in like solitary confinement, they open that little slat and, you know, it's blinding for them. But the deepest secret that HaKadosh Baruch was trying to tell us is stay in there, stay there. You didn't encounter a challenge because the purpose of it is to knock you down and to kill you and to, and to, you know, to game over you and end your whole journey. On the contrary, this is where a new part of you is supposed to come to revelation. And if we stay in there and we realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not give me or you a struggle that we cannot overcome. He doesn't. The Gemara Navadizara says that clearly, Dav Gimelam and Aleph, Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu ba betrunya HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not create us to torture us and to toy with us. And to challenge us in ways that we can't handle. Kaddish Baruch has better things to do with his time. He's a merciful God. He brought us into the world so that we can taste paradise. The paradise of a relationship with him. Consciously, face to face. Chava and Adam. Umalchuse beratz and kibbala aleim. Schar mitzvah, mitzvah. Forget about the world to come. In this world. So that we can taste the paradise of putting on tefillin. And we have to learn what tefillin are. What the straps are. What the meaning is. So that it's not just some dogmatic thing that we do and that's uncomfortable and we try to put it on as late as we possibly can and still be and, and take it off as early as we possibly can. Tzitzis. Shabbos Kodesh. Yamim Toivim Chagim. The mitzvahs and Maisim Toivim every single day is filled with opportunities of paradise. Opportunities for intimacy. So the challenges that we face are only because God is trying to introduce us to who we really are and to reveal something from within us that we never would have known that we had in the first place. This is another perspective that we need coming into Rosh Hashanah as we reflect on the challenges that we faced. How much of those challenges and how many of those failures were a result 
of our selling ourselves short in terms of how weak we felt that we were. What do Chazal mean? When they tell us that there's no human being that ever transgressed, whatever that means, spoke about, that ever stepped off the path without a ruach shtus, without a, a spirit of folly that entered a person. What is that ruach shtus? What is that spirit of folly? What do you think that spirit of folly is? And that, that you'll all be right because there are a lot of interpretations in this farm. Throw out, a, what, do you, what do you think? How would you learn that Gemara? Huh? The Yitzhahara. The that's the That's the Rach Shtus. What's the, what's the Shtus though? What is the folly? What is the Shtus of the Yitzhahara? Sure, but what, why is it called Shtus? Shtus is the way Okay. I think that's the most basic understanding, right? That that's why it would be called Shtuyot vis-a-vis the MS and the eternality, right? Of what that means to to serve God. That's right. That's the same, right? It's the same Indian, right? So that's the more classical interpretation. Rabbi Nachman has a different interpretation. In the very beginning of the Kutumran, I'm happy I brought it. I always bring it with me just as backup, you know. <laughs> Rabbi Nachman over here, many people don't know this. It's more of like an obscure part of his writings. Rabbi Nachman begins the Kutumran with a poem. It's a very long poem. It's a very deep poem. There's a whole sefer that's written on the poem. It's called the uh, Song of... Uh, I have it at home. There's a whole sefer written on this poem. The poem is called Shir Naim. Sweet song. Pleasant song. It's a very long song. But it's not a song. It's the essence of Rabbi Nachman's philosophy laid out in poetry. It's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing. You can really study it. That would be interesting sometimes. I wish that we could learn together all the time. We could mamish take these things and learn them together. But I'm just going to read you three lines. These are the most famous lines probably of the whole poem that gets a little bit involved and philosophically you know, oriented. Listen to this stanza. Nafshi hachazaka v'hapikachas. And then again, we're going to get back to why this was relevant to Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Nachman turns to his soul. He turns to the collective soul of the Jewish nation that all of us share. He turns to all of the hundreds of thousands of Talmudim who never met the man who owe every shred of their connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and every shred of sanity to Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. What do you think? Stam 60,000 people schlepped to Uman every year, spent thousands of dollars, leave their wives and children. It's not fun. People think Uman's a party. It's really not. Unless you're like a Nanach who's like, it's not fun. It's uncomfortable. Hopefully, if there's a healthy marriage, it's just as difficult for the husband as it is for the wife. And it's Mesir Nevish. But the essence of it is gratitude. The essence of it is for these people who feel as if Rabbi Nachman of Breslov took them by the hand and introduced them to a Yiddishkeit. That's, that's Olam Achel Legamri. That's Legamri different. That's a different universe. That's a different perception of a Kodesh Baruch who we spoke about yesterday. The God you don't believe in, I don't either believe in. It's a different, a different perspective on things that was so helpful and so transformative that if the man says to come once a, once a year to his place, you go. What's that? Fair enough. Oh, there's a ma- I can I can give a whole litany of reasons why people go to Uman. One of them, and I would argue one of the one of the main compelling reasons that really push people to go is this feeling of gratitude. Is this feeling of giving back, of paying back, of showing up. So Rabbi Nachman turns to those neshamas and he turns to our souls, and I bless all of us. 
if it's the right path for us, every person has their own Sharish Hashama, but we found in this generation that there are many, many people who feel as if this tzaddik's language is very relevant to the struggles and to the consciousness of this dar, maybe even more relevant now than it was, than it was then. Listen to these words. Nafshi My strong and my wise soul. Why don't you care about yourself? Why don't you take care of yourself? And why have you forgotten the craftsmen who nurtured you? And who has fed you sweet foods? And we have to understand that the Torah is sweet. Most of us don't feel that way. Often, we don't feel that way. Requires learning. It requires It requires tasting it a little bit. How many of the chavri here came in the beginning of last year and felt that learning was enjoyable on, on, on any level? That Avodah Hashem davening is enjoyable. But you grew and you matured and you progressed. And you're different now than you were. And this is just the beginning of your process. You think two years and then you're, then you're done, three years. So the rest of your life, Ezer Hashem, should be a process of education, self-education, further growth. It doesn't stop when you leave Yeshiva. You pick up speed and then you merge onto the highway, but you go speeding for the rest of your life. Deeper and deeper learning, Hasago, deeper, deeper understandings. But that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He fed you sweet food, and He enclosed you in purple. Purple is royalty. But now, you're trampled by the feet of the cattle, of the sheep. And that means to say, between the legs of the lower base desires, that are thick, that are corporeal, that are gross, that are material. And now you exist in a state where you're unclothed and where you're degraded. Yein mishtayich, the wine that you were supposed to drink, nepach has turned into a cup of tears. And how many of us feel this way? Okay, we're not as eloquent to be able to put it this way, but how many times do we feel this way? Trampled, beaten down, belittled, degraded, and we do it to ourselves. And then we get upset at ourselves, and then we go through the process again, and again, and again, and again, ad infinitum until insanity. That part we get. The majority of the tragedy is lost on us because we never once knew what we're supposed to be. So we thought we were supposed to be like status quo and we find ourselves like 10 feet under. We don't understand that we're supposed to be 2 billion miles in the sky. Purple royalty. We have a mission in this world. Each and every one of us has a mission. We were gifted this mission to us by the generations that came before us. Old frail hands with pale blue numbers handed us this mission. What are we going to do with it? We don't realize it, but we don't, we don't think of it that way. And so we think when we're struggling, okay, we're struggling, what can you do? We don't realize the omek of the depth of this tragedy. Rabbi Nachman is describing it now. And listen to what he says, and this is really the sum total of everything Rabbi Nachman wanted to tell us. And this is maybe a little bit more why Rabbi Nachman said that Gar Mein Zach is Rosh Hashanah and Yiddish, my whole thing is Rosh Hashanah. Because Rabbi Nachman's whole thing was Tikkun Malchus. Rabbi Nachman's whole thing was bringing us back into a conscious relationship with the Master of the World. To bring us into intimacy of Chava and Adam. That was his whole thing. And in lesson after lesson after lesson, you'll find 
how to be Masak and Malchus, how to fix up this concept of sovereignty. How to break into a world of freedom, real freedom. That was his whole thing. Garmein Zach is Rosh Hashanah. Again, it doesn't mean that he knows how to make the, the nicest, you know, uh, apple platter with honey. The essence of Rosh Hashanah, says Rabbi Nachman, that's mine. So listen to what he says here. Chazak v'nis chazek. Be strong and be strengthened. This is the line I want to get to. V'altia, there's an iconic line. V'altia kapil hagadol, says Rabbi Nachman. Don't be like the grand elephant. Says Rabbi Nachman, who likely never saw an elephant in his life, who spent his whole life, you know, in a few little shtetlach in Ukraine, who never saw a picture of an elephant, and never saw an elephant. Don't be like the giant elephant, like the camel. Then when there's a little mouse that's running in front of him, he's like stepping around, moving around. Oh no, there's a mouse, what's happening? And the mouse is able to lead him along by the trunk. And the elephant doesn't realize that it can just kick this mouse away and squash it like it's nothing. Don't be like that tremendous elephant that doesn't know its strength. That doesn't know what it is and what it's capable of. Ah, here he says, This is the folly of the Rochstos, more than the folly of Avera. The deepest Ruach Shtos that enters us to make us do an Avera is that it causes us to believe that we're so weak that it's able to go ahead and to do with us what it wants. That's the Shtos. Is there anything more foolish than an elephant that's afraid of a fly? Of an elephant that's afraid of a mouse? That's the greatest folly in the world. Get rid of it. Take care of it. And the primary element of the reason for so many of our obstacles going into Rosh Hashanah as we sort of assess the past year with all of its failures and challenges, the essence of it is that we forgot who we really are and what life is really all about. We forgot how powerful we are. We forgot that life has meaning. We forgot that challenges are given to us in order to elicit our capacity to overcome them. We forgot that every door that we see is meant to be open and walked through. We forgot that every fence that we encounter is a ladder. We forgot all of these things. And so every time that we face a Yitzhahara, we say, okay, take off the yarmulke, I'm going home. Finished. Every time we see a little bit of a door, oh my gosh, but it's not wide open. How am I going to get through? Turn the doorknob. No, we go home. We give up because we don't know how powerful we are. However, it's a joke. It's a total joke. It's a shigayon. But we haven't yet activated that power. We haven't yet activated that ferocity. We haven't yet activated that incredible power that's a result of connecting with what's called the chai hachayim, the life of our life. That element of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that empowers us when we realize that every breath that we take is His breath. Every time we breathe in, He's breathing out. And every time that we breathe out, he's breathing in. That's the shtus. And then he continues, I'll read just one more line. But my wise, strong soul. And this is what Rabbi Nachman wanted from us. Not simply to give us chizik, like okay, no. Rabbi Nachman wanted to tell us that anything that we may have done and that anything that a person might fall into does not define us. 
It's a chait. It's a step off of the path of what our soul is truly endeavoring to accomplish in this world. It's a step off. Menachem says it doesn't touch you. What you've done doesn't define who you are. It's a joke. It's a little dust. You wipe it off. The Pasuk says, Musar Hashem b'ni al-timas. What does it mean on a literal level? How do you translate these words in Mishlei? Musar Hashem, the guidance, I guess, right? How do you translate Musar? Um, the guidance. But like, it's more harsh than that. What's a good word for Musar? Nobody knows. Huh? What do you say? Oh, rebuke. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Rebuke. Beautiful. Right? So rebuke. Yeah, rebuke or guidance. Let's say guidance. Heavy-handed guidance. Musar Hashem. Let's, let's translate it on a simple level, and then we'll go deeper. Musar Hashem, the guidance of God, says Hashem, Bini Altimas. My child, don't be disgusted with this guidance. Even though it's a little bit hard to hear sometimes, and the Torah speaks a little bit harshly, accept it, receive it, be okay with it, be humble, and take it. And use it, and grow from it. That's a simple level. Says the Nesiva Shalom, from the Lech from his grandfather. He says, let me tell you what the Pasuk actually means. Shlomo Amalekh is telling us, Musra Hashem. You know what God's rebuke to us is? You know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's guidance to us is? The sum total of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to relate to the Jewish soul and what he's telling us all the time if we'll open our ears to hear it. You know what the sum total of that communication is? One word. Musra Hashem is Bini. That's it. That's all he has to tell us. You are a prince. You are my son. You are connected with me in a way that no element in creation, dear, beautiful, powerful, wonderful, glorious, can ever dream of being connected to me. Therefore, Altimus. Don't get involved in lowly things. You're my son. Bini. And therefore, Altimus. But a Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't come to us telling you, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Here's a, whole, here's a list of things that you did that you shouldn't have done. That's not a Kodesh Baruch Hu's Musr. Because all of that is extraneous. All of that is secondary. That's not the essence of what a Kodesh Baruch Hu means to tell you and me. That's not the essence of our Yiddish guy. Thank you so much for coming. That's not the essence of it. Musr Hashem is Bini. That's the sum total of what a Kodesh Baruch Hu means to tell us. We're strong, Hebra. We're strong in ways that we can't begin to imagine. Life will show us how strong we are. If we go into it, with the preface and the consciousness to say, I can do this. I can overcome. So much of what we fail in is because of our own shiftless. We're not broken because we failed. We failed because we, we felt broken. And so the first step is not, well, first I need to take care of this and I need to take care of that. And I still have struggles in this area. And Shmir Sinaim is not so good and Lashanar is not so good. And I get angry sometimes and I'm jealous of people and so on and so forth. And so like, let me take care of all that and then maybe I'll have some self-confidence. Mamish not. Mamish not. We spoke about this a little bit last night. It has to go from the inside out, not from the outside in. This is where Hasidus came and turned Yiddishkeit upside down. Because beforehand, everything was like the outside. Tikkun Amidus, Tikkun Adam. Hold on one second, you got to fix this, you got to fix that. And Chassius is like, wait one second. Life is not about trying to attain something that we don't already have. It's about revealing that which is essentially there. 
It's about revealing the bini. It's not about earning a relationship with God. It's about uncovering that relationship that exists within the deepest element of our identity that we cover over with our ego, with our body, with Chava turning her face away from Adam and saying, have a nice day, and scampering off into the Garden of Eden. And so we need to start from the inside out. We need to first get in touch with that grandeur. We need to first get in touch with that essential holiness, goodness, and define ourselves by it. And then you'll see that certain things, what they say in Yish, it's just, it, it's, it's not befitting of a Ben Melech to behave in such a way, to speak in such a way. Sepasnished. And it's not even something that you have to like work on. Like, you know, I'm about to get angry. I better not get angry. It's like not even a thing. The prince doesn't get angry. The person that's living for eternity doesn't get upset that somebody's sitting in his chair for chakras. Grow up and sit in the next seat. And don't be such a big, you know, frumer to go tap him on the shoulder, you know. It's really my seat. You know, it's very, very important that a person, let him. Let him makes a difference. Let him. It's okay. He'll sit the table beyond. Small things, chever. Small things. Eloi and yan. Small-minded people get upset by small things. Body-oriented people get upset. Or get, and that cast is just one, one example. Kapdanas. All of this stuff, but all of it, taibas and so on and so forth. Ma'anyen a person who lives out of the lower identity, out of the guf identity, out of the identity of separateness without the consciousness for what purpose I'm connected in the first place. But the more that we reveal what we really have, the more that we get in touch with that essential bond and that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, that's there no matter what. And it's a matter of revealing it. It's a matter of deepening it. It's not a matter of earning it. We are a part of God. A part of something doesn't need to earn a relationship with that thing. It is literally that thing embodied in a vessel. The relationship is essential. And the question is, how much are we allowing that roiling, fiery, inside core to spill over into the externals of our being? That's Tikkun Amidus from the side of the Baal Shem And it's totally different. And it's for our generation. And this is what we need to hear. And this is why Ibn Ahmed speaks to people. And this is the Nakuda of Rosh Hashanah. One more line, and we'll take a few questions if there are, and then we'll finish. Says Ibn Ahmed, still speaking to his soul, to our souls. What are you going to do on the great judgment day? What are you going to respond to the one who sent you? What are you going to respond to him? I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it? What do you think he put you here for? To do it. And he knows that you could do it. He knows that I, you, you're all perfect, right? Me. Who, he knows that I could do it. So what am I going to answer exactly when I get up there? I couldn't. I had challenges. And I'm speaking primarily to myself. You're just overhearing. Because I'm the one that needs help. What am I going to answer him exactly? I couldn't do it. I got his brother who sent me to do it. Al Tabit al Matsalas has man. Don't look. At the passage of time, he says the body is weak. The body is going to wither away. The body is not the powerful one. The body is not, should not be the bulk of our focus. It's a necessary evil and, it's, and, and because of its necessity, it's not evil. And we can elevate it and we can bring it into the picture and we can allow it to become subsumed by that premise and that light so that our eating and our drinking and our sleeping and our chilling and all of our different arenas of our life like we spoke about last time become Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish Hashem Sabakas. Becomes elevated with the light of the soul. But the body in and of itself, Hazman Holech, the time is passing. Bahoima, Baguf, 
We should all live long and happy till 120. A person does not have anything other than today. Nothing other than today. And with this I'll end. With this I'll end. When you put together two different ideas, it emerges from there an incredibly powerful idea. I had to look to make sure that you just didn't switch seats. <laughs> it's awesome. You guys can pull some good shtick, you know, here. So, are you in the same shir? Different shir? Same? Yes, same. Same. I would love to speak with you. I want to find out what it's like to have a twin. I always wonder about that. Huh? Student Sicha. Student what's that? It's post Sicha. Students can Sicha. Ah. Ah, 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 ah. Wow. Is it recorded somewhere? Uh, yeah, it's a video. So, let's, 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 let's take these two ideas, put them together. We have one more minute left. Chazal, tell us. Chavar, listen to this one. Chazal, with this, we'll finish. Chazal, tell us that the world was created by Shvili Yisrael for the purpose of the Jewish nation. Now we understand a little bit more what that means. Chava, Adam, Rosh Hashanah, Malchus and Kibbul Aleim, Am Yisrael, Kabbalah Satara, and so on and so forth. Chazal also tell us that all a Jew ever has is Hayom. Hayom in Mekoyle Tishma'o. HaGadosh Baruch asks nothing of us about tomorrow or about yesterday. Today. What are you doing today? Rav Kook says the essence of tshuva is not about, is not about the past. He says the essence of tshuva is today doing what I'm supposed to do. And HaKadosh Baruch will help that I should fix the past also in the process. But tshuva is about today and tomorrow. Not about yesterday. Primarily about today. A Jew has today. How many days do we feel as if today is just... It's not the day. It's a regular mundane Wednesday in the middle of a winter's man. Not feeling it. Mishachris. Not in it. It's just today. But now think about this for a second. If the whole world was created for the Jewish nation, and every single Jew needs to say, and all you ever have is today, comes out a remarkable thing. HaGadosh Baruch Hu created all of existence and all time and everything that happened in history for you today on this unremarkable day. Now think about that for a second. And now realize how much capacity you have to do something remarkable with this day to meet the challenge, to allow that obstacle to elicit from within your soul a capacity and a power that you didn't think that you had, that you never would have known about without this challenge. I bless us all with the ability to come into Rosh Hashanah with all of these ideas we spoke about a lot. There's a lot that we spoke about, but it's all about one essential nakuda. At our core, we are holy. And Rosh Hashanah is about realigning ourselves with that core essential holiness stepping back on the path from all the chatayim that led us a step off, the chatayim that were an exercise in missing, the chatayim that were an exercise in focusing on the external independence of our being without realizing why we have an external independence, guf, which is a levush for the neshama, which is separate because of what? I wish you all and I'm looking forward to doing more learning together, I hope, Bezer Hashem, throughout the year. L'chaim, l'chaim, l'vracha. Thank you so much for coming. And I believe we have Mincha now. Thank you so, so much. Take the sheets with you. We didn't even get to the